This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jarrett Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order to release. This week, we're coming together in one whole body because we haven't really watched any one movie until we've told the other one about it. Talking about spine Mm. number 21, David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers from 1988. But first, RJ. Mm -hmm. How are you? Um, I'm okay, man. I'm not great. My uh, my cat was sleeping on the uh, the office chair here, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to move her to start to do this thing. So I feel pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through. Did uh, Winnie continue sleeping wherever you placed her? No, no, she was pretty pissed off to be honest. Aww. She got up and she walked away. So. Aww. Um. This might be it, man. This might be the end of the show. Well, yeah, she might like uh, take revenge out on the uh, pop filter on the microphone. She, well, she'll do some things. You rest assured about that. But mm-hmm. uh, no, she really likes this chair. She sleeps in it all the time uh, to the point where sometimes I've needed the chair and I've sat on the floor instead. <laughs> um, Andrea has remarked that it's pretty ridiculous. She says, "Just move her," and it's like, yeah. "Well, she's." But she's doing her thing, you know. Like <laughs> you're, you're, that, you're a great age chump. <laughs> yeah. Kick that cat out of there. That cat can sleep on your lap. Yeah, but not during the show, because then she'll wake up halfway through and she'll meow, and then you'll get mad at me, and then you're gonna like do bad things to people because you to take that anger out. Yeah, well, because I wouldn't do anything to hurt a cat. I mean, I would definitely no, take it out on people. Yeah, complete strangers. Yeah, yeah fuck people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, cool. How are you doing? Um, you know, just mentally, uh, mentally preparing for an eighteen-hour round-trip drive uh, I've got coming up for me this weekend. Uh, did you say mentally? Mentally. 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 Where are you going? That's eighteen hours away. Oh, uh, a small industrial town in southern Saskatchewan. That's all. Oh, cool. Yeah. Are you just driving there and then turning around and coming right back? Yep, pretty much. Going to drive just- there, sleep, and then wake up. Go uh, retrieve some artwork, which means taking it all down, packing it up, and driving straight on back. By retrieve artwork, is this like a heist that you're doing and you're just filling people in so we'll see it on the news like a day later? Yes. Yes, I yes. am. Yep. Well, that's admirable. Um, yo, I got a I got a flu shot yesterday morning. Mm. That, that was my, and how did that go? Well, my, it was my first ever. And uh, after I got my shot, I went and sat down in the waiting area, which I thought like, oh, that's weird. Like, why, why do people have to go sit and wait in these chairs? Like, they should be just good to go. Well, I found out as I uh, fainted about three minutes later, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I only slumped over. I did not uh, flare flop uh, my head into the concrete. But uh, mm, yeah. Bad. Yeah. So I just kind of woke up to uh, a nurse, like, prompting me up and being hey are you okay i was like what mm-hmm. what happened and yeah so that sucked but about 10 15 minutes later i was all good after some water and a nice sugary cookie you know arnold would call you a girly man yeah and he'd be right to do so yeah so are you like better now or are you still feeling like pretty weak oh no i'm fine like i said like after like 10 15 minutes i was all good to go uh just like something about like i guess my blood pressure just dropped it didn't like that vaccine coursing through my veins yeah well i guess you might might as well give up the vaccines Mm -hmm. i mean you don't want autism do you uh no sir no sir (laughs) Um, jim carrey yeah well i feel bad he was corrupted (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I, I'm a I'm a big supporter of modern medicine. But uh, I do not get flu shots because I ain't no punk. 
Mm-hmm. When I get a flu, I just will it out of my body. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you can just you can use your imagination for which hole it comes out of. Hmm. Pure concentrated evil. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and today at work, uh, a kid handed me their USB dr- uh, drive to retrieve a file. And was RJ, guess, guess what the name of their USB drive was? Huge dongs. Harambe. Harambe. Yeah. Oh my! Did he? Was that? Was this guy wearing a polo shirt with the uh, collar popped? No. Visor. I bring this up because this kid is like the opposite of that. Well, I guess it's for bros and hipsters. Was uh, he a hipster? Uh, no. He's like a Daniel Klaus drawing come to life. Oh. Do you think? Do you think he was felt like peer pressured into doing it? Uh, I don't know. He, I guess I don't know. The internet does messed up things to people. Son of a bitch! It's, yeah. it's taking the good ones now. Mm-hmm. All uh, those Dan Klaus yeah. humans. <laughs> those kids that look like uh, creepy drawings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's bad. Yeah. So hey, one more week, RJ, and we're back to normal. Uh, I know. We, we got uh, one more ghoul school to go in 2016. Mm-hmm. It'll be our season finale that we'll record on Sunday, uh, assuming I make it back alive from my trip. Mm-hmm. And then it's just back to creeping full time. Creeping full time. Well, I guess for you, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'll probably take a break from uh, mass watchings for like a while. Yeah. So I won't have much to talk about anymore. Mm hmm. Back to Because I, I got to get back reality. to the real world. Yeah. Yeah. The break was nice, but mm-hmm. uh, once it's done, it's going to just harsh things will come over yeah. over me so well i mean at this point for october i've already broken my record uh for the last two years which had wound up really? at 87 horror movies i am Jesus. now in the low 90s um i'm hoping by um, the 31st i will hit at least 100 and then i can say i'm the best i'm the best around the best well that's subjective uh yes everything's subjective though mm-hmm. but well, i hey. think you're at like double my watching yeah well, I mean, that says it all. It I'm, says it all. I'm twice the man. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So, hey, RJ. Yo. You got any news? I do got news. I got two bits of news for you, buddy. Okay. I got one which is movie-related and one that might just rock your world. Okay. What, what do you want first? Uh, I'd like to have my world rocked, please. All right. Are you, are you actually ready for this? Yes. So you know, you know how I've mentioned on this show a few times that I have certain interests. Um. <laughs> so here it is. Get this, Jarrett. Okay. British UFO expert and Orlando Bloom schoolmate found dead in Poland, uh, sacrificed by Satanist. Oh. Oh. And alternatively, title UFO expert found dead days after texting mum, "Your boy's in trouble. If anything happens to me, investigate." Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, what's the source? What's the source on this story? Um, uh, it's uh, CNN, okay. uh, BBC, CBC, uh, Trump News, um, Hillary Forever, yeah, uh, things like that. So, a conspiracy theorist, Max Spears, thirty-nine father of two, was found dead on a sofa in Poland when he had gone to give a talk about conspiracy theories and UFOs. He he was ruled to have died from natural causes despite no post-mortem examination. (gasps) Friends of the man say that he was vomiting a black substance before he died. Uh, It's all very suspicious, Jarrett, 
Um, I think it's chilling. Uh, I think government denies knowledge. Uh, we can't trust anybody, and uh, the future is now. So I don't know what you have to say about this, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is uh, this is it. Well, uh, considering this is the first I've heard of it, and I really don't like have much in the way of uh, evidence. I'm not an investigator in the case. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Usually, there's like almost always a pretty reasonable explanation of what's going on here, and it sometimes gets dropped out. And like usually, yeah, these are, these stories get reported initially, and then like that's all you hear about is the initial vagueness because no one knows mm-hmm. the evidence because like you know, police or whomever like aren't replacing that information, which then leads the nuts to then say well it's because they're covering it up and it's like well no it's because they're being responsible and they Mm. don't know things they can't report on what they don't know and then it gets dropped quietly and then we get a perfectly perfectly reasonable explanation that comes out but no one cares about that and then they just continue on blaming i don't know like the hillary clinton campaign had him killed (laughs) because he knew too much and bullshit like that it's always that like i don't know you you know jared i I find your your response a little bit too too clean it was a little bit too formed before the oh, facts so oh boy. Uh, so you heard it here first folks <laughs> ufos confirmed all right uh yeah no i'm just that uh arm of the the octopus or whatever the fuck it's called mm-hmm. yeah it's uh not... no that's a sex move oh <laughs> yeah uh well for your other piece of news i got some mm-hmm. big news uh coming from uh i don't know the world i guess uh Uwe Boll, filmmaker says he's retiring from cinema <gasps> no way. Yep, he's done making movies. Uh, Not Uwe. Uh, 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 you? Well, this comes from ScreenRant.com. Okay. Arguably, one of the greatest things about cinema is that for all the classics, epics, and outright genre-defining spectacles that audience have been and have yet to be treated to, there will always be a place for the less-than-perfect efforts. Cult cinema has been alive and well since the inception of filmmaking itself, and although some of these efforts are met with nothing but ridicule and derision upon the release, their existence still plays an important role in movie making. Of all the filmmakers who reside outside the periphery of successful mainstream cinema, German director Uwe Boll is one of the most notorious. With films like Assault on uh, Wall Street, Blubberella, Blood Rain, Mm. The Third Reich, and the video game adaptation of Alone in the Dark, Boll's films have never been what anyone would call blockbusters. However, they have always managed to achieve just enough attention to keep the volatile filmmaker relevant in his own bizarre way. While some would even argue that Uwe Boll is the Ed Wood of his day, his time as a filmmaker Mm. has apparently come to an end again. Metro is reporting that the 51-year-old director has made his most recent effort, Rampage, President Down, his last film. Listing a host of reasons as to why he is finally saying goodbye to the life of a movie director, Bull has admitted that the main reason for his retirement is that he has been self-financing his work all these years and can no longer afford to make the films he wants to make. The market is dead. You don't make any money anymore on movies because the DVD and Blu-ray market worldwide has dropped 80% in the last three years. That is the last. That is the real reason. I just cannot afford to make movies. I never had people giving me money. I've been using my own money since 2005. If I hadn't made the stupid video game-based movies, I would never have amalgamated the capital so I could say, let's make the Darfur movie. I don't need a Ferrari. I don't need mm-hmm. a yacht. I invested in my own movies and I lost money. 
Uh, Bowl also pointed out that his films have always maintained a realism that sets them apart from typical Hollywood fare. The aforementioned Assault on Wall Street, for example, was a film that he felt stood particularly high above its competitors. It's way better than Wall Street 2 by Oliver Stone. It's better research. It's better written. Sure. It's better, but it doesn't have Michael Douglas. It's not Jason Bourne or any, or any Bulls shit movie where they make stuff up. My movies are real. Um Real. That's um, something. Those who have followed Bull's career to date will know that he is known for his outspoken antics. In 2006, the director challenged his critics to a boxing match where he proceeded to pound four of his detractors in a row into submission. And last mm-hmm. year, Bull released an expletive Latin video in which he also announced he was finished with filmmaking, venting his rage on everything from comic book movies to the current state of Hollywood and its stars, whom he argued are only interested in money. His demeanor has continuously danced a line between raving lunatic and someone with surprisingly accurate points. Bull's Mm. title as the Mm. world's worst director might seem deserved to some, but there is something worthwhile about having a filmmaker like him around. Yes, he can be crass and self-important, but if nothing else, he's a reminder that filmmaking should always be about taking risks. Bull's risks may not have paid off financially or critically, but no one can ever say that he didn't do exactly what he wanted right from the get-go. That in itself is something special in a line of work as challenging as his. And that was by, I think, Mike Jones is the author of that particular piece. So, Ooh. Mike, Mike Jones. Jones. So, you know that old rap song? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, RJ, have you ever seen any uh, Uwe Boll films? Nope. Nope. Couldn't care less. Yep. Uh, I've seen, like, three back in the my, uh, my cinema hipster days when I was, like, mm-hmm. cool to watch pieces of shit. So I we yep. watched uh, House of the Dead, and that is bad. And then we watched Alone mm-hmm. in the Dark, and all I remember from that movie is I think Christian Slater was in it, and I remember not finishing it and just being like, "This is we're over, we're, we're through with this piece of shit," and that was the end of that. Uh, I think Great. the only Uwe Boll movie I've seen in its entirety was Postal. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the last thing I saw, and that was just like because I was like at the time was considered his best movie, and sure. uh, it was just kind of. I don't know, junky, not horrendous, but that's about it. And then he's kind of not been on my radar for a very long time. Yeah, I've never seen any of his. I didn't even hear about him until last year when he did the Kickstarter. And he he wanted like, I think like a hundred grand and it made like five. And and then he put up that video where he's just like, fuck you. (laughs) So, I mean, you got to give it to him for that. Like He's passionate. He's passionate. He's like, give me money. And they're like, no. And he's like, well, fuck you then. Mm-hmm. So, I uh, thank God someone did it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, he was like, I remember he was the guy everyone liked to kick around back in the day. And uh, no, I, I definitely do remember the boxing thing because it seemed like these guys, these these critics who I can name here. Uh, mm-hmm. One was the webmaster of somethingawful.com, Richard Kianka. Uh, he got knocked out. He got he got knocked out in the first round. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Schneider of Ain't It Cool News. Uh, he got a technical knockout, uh, but he went in not realizing he was going to get beat up because yeah, uh, Uwe Boll does is actually like I'm not sure if he's like Golden Gloves or whatever, but he has trained in boxing, so mm-hmm. I think it was like hilarious that these guys thought this is all for fun, right? And then no, uh, Chris Alexander of uh, Rue Morgue magazine, uh, he was the third guy. I didn't realize that, but apparently I'll read this uh, article about it. He managed to slick trick of he had to he managed a slick trick of his own 
Uh, he spewed blood from his mouth after a particularly brutal round of punches to the head. It was fake blood, but looked real enough to give Bull a start. I spat it out. I freaked him out exactly like I wanted to do. It was poetry, said Alexander. It was my Jedi mind trick to try and disorient him. It was a moral victory, though, and Bull still won the match with a knockout. <laughs> it's like, yep, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, and then, hmm. yeah, some guy named Nelson Chance Mintner, a 17-year-old website critic. He also got a TKO. Um, so, yeah, Bull went 4-0 uh, fighting these guys. Well, good for him. Good, yep. <laughs> I mean, could you see, like, um, Spielberg fighting his critics? No way, man. No. See, because he, he, can't, he can't stand the heat, man. He just can't backs, stand the heat. I, I'm, I'm sure he's better things to do, too. Anyway, that was my yep. news. Uh, cool. What, what else you got to say for yourself? Oh, my God. Mel Gibson alert. Uh-oh. <laughs> Mel Gibson's in the news today, Jared, for good things, because oh. he's a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, he is doing press junkets for Hacksaw Ridge, yep. the sure, uh, soon-to-be uh, best movie of the year, I am sure. Best director, best all-around person, Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing some press, and uh, he was getting some Braveheart questions. And uh, he uh, went out there, and he said there's probably about an hour's worth of extra scenes that were cut out of Braveheart. And uh, they were asked, like, they asked him, they said, hey, Mel, you ever put those things out? Would you do, like, a, a director's cut? He's like, I don't care, sure. He's like, if someone else wants to uh, throw it or fund up the money and slap it together, I'll give you the scenes. So uh, soon to be coming is a four-hour cut of Braveheart, and uh, I'm pretty excited. Huh. And uh, that's actually not confirmed. He just said he would do it. Right. So um, I'm taking that as fact. And even if it never happens, I'll just watch I'll just watch it in a loop so that my my edition is like four hours. Um, when's the last time you watched Braveheart? Long time ago. But okay. uh, you, you'll be pleased to know that I own two copies on DVD. On DVD? Is oh, is it the same version? Copies. It is the same one. Um, I'm not really sure how it happened, but uh, I have two copies on DVD. And I also have the double uh, VHS pack. So... I got a I got a bit of Braveheart, buddy. Um, okay. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. It's probably never gonna happen, but I was like, hey man, at least Mel Gibson's out there doing stuff. Yeah, I guess so. And yeah, like I said, I think he's a good director. Um, <laughs> whether or not it's like weird the idea of going back and making like a four-hour director's cut because I'm probably figure that those scenes were maybe cut way back when for good reason. <laughs> and. He- he does say that. He's like, we cut the scenes that needed to be cut. Yeah. Usually it's like, yeah, it's like, hey, let's make a flabbier version of a perfectly fine movie from 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen, but I mean, you know, I'll take any more of Mel than, or more of Mel. More Mel. Mo more me- Mel. Mo Mel. Mo Mel. Mo Mel. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. That's all you got. Cool. All right. Well, then after the break, we're going to, I don't know, talk about a movie. Sure. Awesome. Who would I believe? Now 
By every scientific measure, they are absolutely the same. They share everything. You haven't had any experience until I've had it too. Bev, you've got to try the movie star. She's unbelievable. Doctor, you've cured me. You mean to say there's two of them? They're twins, dear. I think we should drop her then. You drop her. I'm in love with her. I'll be in love if it does this to you, Kenneth. Doctor, I think there's something wrong with you. Patients are getting strange. What are they? They're working on mutant women. From David Cronenberg, who in The Fly made the fantastic real. Get him out of here! Radical technology was required. Something radical is definitely required. Now, David Cronenberg makes reality the ultimate fantasy. Dead ringers. Separation can be a... And we're back, and we're talking Dead Ringers, directed by David Cronenberg from 1988. A little synopsis rundown. The movie opens up with identical twins, Elliot and Beverly Mantle, leaving their brownstone home in Toronto, Canada in the 50s, and they're discussing human sex and the inconvenience of sex, as children do. They ask a neighborhood girl if she would like to have sex with them in a bathtub for an experiment, and are told to get fucked. This basically sets the tone for the rest of the film. Uh, we jump ahead to the 60s. Uh, it's Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, where the brothers are now med students and are already inventing new devices for the examination of women's bodies, instruments that do not take into account the comfort of their patients' bodies. We are then shown that the strange invention of theirs is reworked, uh, rejiggered a bit, and they are now on their way to being top-notch gynecologists and begin the practice of examining women's vaginas. Truly, this is a movie for the people. Mm-hmm. With that preamble out of the way, the rest of the story is that of the two brothers now back in Toronto in the late 80s. Uh, an actress has come into their, uh, uh, I guess, practice, uh, mm-hmm. Claire Nouveau. Uh, Beverly, the sweet brother of the twins, examines her and discovers she has a trifurcated cervix, a rare and unusual formation that makes having children impossible. Beverly excitedly tells his hotshot dick brother, Elliot, who does the fun granting face side of their stuff uh, about this discovery, and Elliot just sees this as uh, another potential conquest and uh, also a bit of fame more for their um, scientific endeavors. Uh, we are then introduced to the mental method of dating. Essentially, they hit up on women who are unaware that mm-hmm. there are two of them, and then they switch out back and forth just for kicks. Uh, this has been going on for a number of years, we find out, and uh, it would seem that Nouveau is the one that is going to turn Beverly around, though, about this whole game as he starts really falling for her and having feelings toward her. Uh, Nouveau has a bit of a prescription drug problem, though, and... Uh, Elliot feels that she, uh, she's just kind of there working the brother for uh, drugs, and he's more than willing to go along with it because it kind of amuses him. Um, and so Beverly kind of winds up also kind of falling into this prescription drug problem uh, after a particularly nasty argument where Nouveau starts questioning the mental state and identity and sexual preferences of poor Beverly. 
Um, eventually, the gig is up, and Nouveau discovers that she's been had by these two brothers, and she confronts them, dumps Beverly. Uh, Elliot's indifferent to this, but Beverly is really devastated. Uh, this kicks off a downward spiral for Beverly. Um, <clears throat> Nouveau and Beverly do reconcile, and things look like they're going to play out just lovely in this David Cronenberg movie, but that's just not going to be the case. Claire leaves town to work on a film, uh, and Beverly is not able to handle this loneliness anymore. It seems the drift between Beverly and his brother Elliot has become insurmountable, and this becomes actually upsetting to the usually cool Elliot. Uh, Bev delves into depression, more drug abuse, and then just madness when he starts uh, when he thinks that Claire is having an affair on him. Uh, there's talk of mutant women, abnormal genitals, stalking the landscape. He goes to an industrial artist uh, out of the 80s school of edgy artwork and has him draft up some gynecological instruments to deal with these mutant women. It goes so far as uh, Bev is actually working uh, in an operation and he's going to start using these tools on a patient. But before that happens, uh, he has a kind of drug freak out uh, and this kind of exposes his drug problem. And him and Elliot now have both lost their ability to practice their medical stuff. Elliot now realizes the neglect he has had toward his brother uh, has had this effect, and now he figures he's got to help him out. So this brings about some rehabilitation, and this doesn't go well at all, and things just keep going down, down a dark road. And, yeah, that's kind of dead ringers. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen many David Cronenberg movies, RJ? Quite a few, actually. Oh. Quite a few. Yeah. He- He's, uh, as you've mentioned, a good old Canadian boy, um, so uh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Not that that would matter, but uh, Cronenberg's the king daddy of uh, body horror and flesh. And flesh. I think some some people have called him granddaddy flesh. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cronenberg is awesome. I love him. His movies are wicked good. So, uh, yes, I have seen quite a few. Oh, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm trying to, like, I try to think of, like, what the first Cronenberg stuff I would have watched. And I think the earliest thing I would have watched before knowing who he was was probably The Fly when mm-hmm. it was on, like, Showcase or whatever and being like, what the hell is this type of thing? Like, uh, yeah. with arms being broken in half and weird vomit stuff going on, really, like, off-putting stuff. And then, like, yeah, just, like, being uh, in Canada, you get exp- you get kind of the David Cronenberg beatdown because there's like only like a handful of like big name directors uh, in at mm-hmm. least in like English Canada that you hear about, and it's kind of like it's David Cronenberg and uh, Adam McGowan, especially through the '90s, um, and then like to a lesser degree like Guy Madden or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I kind of like went through a phase where I was just like watching all of David Cronenberg's movies on VHS, uh, renting whatever th- they had, and they usually did actually have a pretty good selection. You could kind of uh, piece together from all the video stores. I think the only right. one that I ever had any problem getting a hold of was I think Rabid. But yeah, I mean, finding like uh, mm-hmm. they came from within, aka Shivers and stuff like that. Watching all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember at one point renting Dead Ringers from blockbuster i guess and like i thought this movie was like absolutely amazing and like mm-hmm. i think it was like it kind of like felt like this like light year jump from like the stuff he was making uh at the beginning of his career and kind of like in the mid 80s kind of like where you have like uh videodrome the dead zone and the fly mm-hmm. and then he finally kind of like jumps in and is like i'm gonna make like a real movie now and which like I, I don't feel that way now because i think that between Videodrome, The Fly, and Dead Ringers, I think it's like this amazing trilogy of movies that are just like mm-hmm. absolutely phenomenal. Because yeah, I I love Dead Ringers to bits. Um, mm-hmm. This movie, like 
watching it this time, um, the one thing I'm disappointed by uh, actually is that we were doing our show this particular week because in a month or so, Scream Factory is putting out the Blu-ray of this, and yeah. I, I, I was like, oh man, I would have loved to be able to talk about that uh, in HD mm-hmm. and everything because like the DVD that we each own is uh, it's like the older release that's like actually been out mm-hmm. of print for years and was going for like like a hundred bucks or something like that. Um, yeah. And like, it looks fine. Like it's not a bad DVD by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like the, and there's like the old criterion, which is like, you know, 20 years old now almost, uh, which I don't have access to. Um, but yeah, so we're watching the old Morgan Creek one, but yeah, like mm-hmm. the thing I was really watching was just like how amazing the technical aspects are as far as like doing the split screen stuff mm-hmm. with like, uh, with the Jeremy Irons characters, because yeah. like, it's just like, it's still amazing to me. Um, like, I think that actually, because uh, the one director that came to mind when I was watching this movie was Christopher Nolan. Oh, yeah. Uh, watching this. Just because, like, there's, like, the obvious thing where it's, like, uh, spoilers. If you're talking about the movie The Prestige, uh, that's a movie where mm-hmm. you, you had sort of a similar thing going on. But I found that in The Prestige, it's, like, really, oh, it's not very, like, tricky. There's, like, no way that, like, you ever really wonder, like, how did they have the two brothers at the same time yeah. there's nothing like that's like that impressive um whereas like it's almost like Cronenberg is like marveling in the fact that like how well done the uh dual screening is with the two mm-hmm. and there's like the added aspect though of just like how incredible the Jeremy Irons performance is in this movie mm-hmm. it's just like like there is like you literally think that there's two people on the screen like you really, I don't think you could realize yeah. that. Oh, this is one man, and it's like no, there's two brothers happening, and like what a what a credit to both. Um, mm-hmm. And like actually, I mean, I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself because like with Cronenberg, I mean, one of the themes that like kind of is throughout his whole like first like twelve movies that he made was this relationship of technology and like the body, and yeah. I, I actually found that this movie kind of like typifies that in some ways because it's this idea of like film technology. And in relation to, like, the body, which is, like, Jeremy Irons and, like, how it's, like, kind of this, like, perfect blending of, like, those things and, like, creating something completely new, which is, like, he he basically fabricated an entire different person uh, Mm -hmm. to basically pull this off. And it's all just, like, movie magic or whatever, just, like, at such, like, a high level. And that's, like, 1988. Um, Like, because I'm pretty sure that, like, split screen still, like, doesn't look even this good still. Um, Like, I'll be curious to see how this looks in HD and whether or not it kind of... Uh, shows the flaws more, but mm-hmm. so I'm kind of like, well, maybe that'll be a bad thing because you can maybe see like the color. Well, the colors might be a little bit off or whatever when they do yeah. it that way. But on this DVD, it still looks absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks great. Like uh, I was, I, I was watching this with Andrea, and I t- mentioned that, and she's like, "Well, how did they do that?" She's like, "Was there a dude in a green, a green suit?" And I was like, "This is way before that." I was like, "I don't know how they did it. I think it's like imposed on, like the film. Is it like put on top of each other, like imposed on it, or yeah. I don't know how it's, it's executed, but it it looks like flawless." Yeah. And the other thing too is like Jeremy Irons is fucking amazing. Like his timing and like the how he kind of interacts with that stuff. Like I don't know mm-hmm. if they even if they had like a dude that he could bounce lines off of. Like, he had to get his timing from his first performance to his second. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, like, it's all 
it's all amazing, Jer. Yeah, I didn't. Oh. Uh, I, I vaguely remember it because I didn't watch it this time, but like in the behind the scenes, like or in some behind the scenes, like show off of like how they did this. Like it's like it's very. It seems very simple what they did, but like mm-hmm. they did it really, really well. Because usually they do. They, they, they other movies have done the same thing where like they've shot scenes doubling over, and then mm-hmm. recomposited them. Um, but in this, it's like the seams you don't see them. Like I or I can't tell. Like or I, or actually, I get yeah. so involved in the story. Because I like the story so much that I don't notice those seams, I guess, mm-hmm. too, which is another credit to the uh, actual storytelling uh, of the movie. Um, yeah. yeah, actually, the one thing, too, is I was reading a, a, a trivia fact was, I guess, like Jeremy Irons uh, actually had two trailers, depending on which character he was playing initially, which is like a, kind oh. of a peculiar thing. But apparently, I guess, like at one point, he decided that this is kind of stupid. And like he thought like it would add to like, his own confusion about who's who, like which character he was doing, which is sort mm-hmm. of something that the movie does start playing with. And like, you really kind of start forgetting about who's who by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, fortunately they do have names. Uh, uh, I was reading one person's review where they're like, I kind of got confused, but I'm terrible with names. I'm like, I, that's fair. But I mean, they're very different characters though. Um, mm-hmm. Like just like the way they play it. Like there's just like, yeah. there are little subtle things that he does that are, uh, I, I think he's great at that. Yeah. Like I, I didn't have, there's only a few moments where I couldn't tell them apart. Like for the most part, like just in his expression or his poise, like, like sometimes they do the hair a little different, but like, even so yeah. like it just is the way his face is, man. Like sometimes you can tell it's like, okay, well this is him and this is the other one and the way he, the cadence to his like speak or sometimes mm-hmm. well, as well. So yeah. I mean, there's like, and there's even like the, like soup, the next level too of where there's the times where, Elliot is playing Beverly and you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> like you, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, okay. So now like, not only has he had to figure out how he plays Beverly and how he plays Elliot, but now he has to actually figure out how would Elliot do his brother and how would uh, Elliot mm-hmm. do Beverly? It's yeah. It's quite the, the feat. <laughs> it's know. next level shit. I next, think that's what the yo, kids say. Yo, <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, yeah. It's next level shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's he's absolutely fucking incredible in this. And like just watching it, this is like another one of those movies where I just I don't even take notes almost because you get so caught up into it. And it's just so well done. Uh, all Jeremy Iron stuff, all of the direction, like there's so much nice symmetry in all the shots between them. And like stuff like that. It's just a you know, it's just a real well put together movie, Jer. Nice little package. Nice little package there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll just kind of run through my notes here of what I've got. Sure. Um, yeah, so that Howard Shore score shows up again. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like uh, after The Fly, and it's a lot more dialed back from that super operatic uh, music that we have in The Fly. But it's, like again, like super well-suited. Uh, him and Cronenberg work really well together. I don't. I think, mm-hmm. they, I think they still, like, are collaborating on music to this day. Um, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, I don't think it's like a super standout score by any means, but, uh, I think it's like, it's like, it's perfectly suited to the material. It's just sort of like this, like, yeah, somber thing that just kind of runs with the story. Um, yeah, I think like the thing that draws me into this movie immediately is just like the, those anatomical block print illustrations, uh, with the opening credits. Oh yeah. I like, I'm such a sucker for that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, the girlfriend, she has like tons of books of all this stuff. And uh, yeah, just seeing it in, show up in movies always makes me happy. I'm not so maybe so much a fan of that red. It looks kind of a little odd to me. But uh, yeah, I, I mean. 
I was gonna ask, do you do you know what that's about? What the the red, uh, like not the red, but like the uh, the very ceremonial gowns that they wear that are like oh. with the, the headpieces. Because An- Andrea looked at me, she was like, "What is that?" And I was like, "I don't know." I was like, I think it's just a Cronenberg thing. I, I, I don't know. I think it's a style. Yeah, I, I actually think it's just a, like a design thing. Uh, you have to ask uh, mm-hmm. Carol Spear, I guess. That's his. Um, that's his like production designer for okay. forever and ever. Um, and yeah, like so. There's like those weird flourishes that are in that movie that like just I don't know. They make the movie definitely iconic because like mm-hmm. I don't think you can, I think you can pretty well like see a screen grab of like that red outfit being put on the weird like yeah I don't even know what you call it. It's um it's almost like religious looking like it's like yeah. uh yeah and it's like like a high priests of stuff like that. It's really peculiar um because I don't think I don't know if there's a reference point for that. I've never seen it in my travels uh in, through mm. through uh gynecological hospitals get women getting uh inseminated and whatnot yeah but you don't creep in that around them as much as you're supposed to i guess or not. as well not supposed to mm-hmm. mm. um this going this time out though i didn't realize this was based on a book nor did i realize or i think i maybe had read it at one point but i didn't retain that this was actually based on like a real life story kind of like there was hmm. actors actually there was two twin gynecologist brothers named cyril and Stuart marcus and they like both died like of like they were like had barbiturates in their system and like one was yeah. one had overdosed and the other one died like right afterwards and their bodies were discovered in like one of the brothers apartments in new york in like 75 or 77 or something like that and so there's, Weird, and then there's, man. and yeah, and there's a book that's based on them that was originally called Twins, and then I think, mm-hmm. and then it, that's the basis of this, and then it just got a, uh, I think now it's just called Dead Ringers. But. Yeah, I think Twins works better for the Danny DeVito stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Dead Ringers has a little bit more uh, panaz. Yeah, I had to fight the uh, impulse to just write a synopsis out for Twins and just twins. use that for this movie. <laughs> You could have done it, man. Yeah. I would have liked it. Yeah, you'd have the appreciated. Fan would have liked it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, the co-writer on this was like, David Cronenberg wrote it with a fella mm-hmm. who also wrote uh, the movie Body Parts, which is also an Eric Red film. Which, uh, if you'd listened to the last Ghoul School, you would have heard me heaping praise upon his film Bad Moon. Um, Ooh, okay. But, and also of note is the uh, same guy. Uh, it's like Norman. Sh- Norman something. Uh, he also worked mm. on an iteration of an American Psycho movie that was going to be made that Cronenberg was at one point attached to, uh, which goes along with like every direct, every cool director at one point was attached to do an American Psycho. It seems. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because it's because people like the the content, I guess. I, yeah, they like violent sex. Actually, Cronenberg would have been pretty well suited to doing American Psycho. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways, but hey. Anyway, so Toronto, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's so nice to see Toronto as itself. Uh, that's a nice staple of Cronenberg's uh, movies because mm-hmm. uh, between yeah, Videodrome and uh, uh, The Fly, Toronto <laughs> is the city. Well, it's I think a good stuff is not only do they take place there, but he films there, right? Yeah. Whereas like a lot of other places is actually like filmed in Toronto or Vancouver, but it's like Dayton, Ohio, New York or yeah, something like that. My favorite is always the, uh, I think it's in the uh, rumble in the Bronx where it's Vancouver as uh, New York, New York. And it's just like yeah. that. Nope. <laughs> that's not New York. Cause like they're yeah. out on the Bay and stuff like that. And it's like, no, that I know where that is. That's like West Vancouver. You're like, I've been there, man. North fans over there. And it's yeah. like, no, that's not, not nope. There's no mm-hmm. like, it's not coastal at all like New York mm-hmm. City but that's yeah. neither here nor there 
No, yeah, I like that too. Yeah. And uh, people might be like, well, enough with the Canada stuff. But mm-hmm. hey, man, it, we're, we're proud to be Canadian. And this is the first one there. And it's he, David Cronenberg seems like he's proud too. So mm-hmm. he's one of our All greatest right. exports. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, so this movie like kicks off with like so many good lines. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, that little girl just saying "fuck off, you freaks," and you don't even know what "fuck" is. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was gonna say that's uh that is how Canadian kids act like pretty routinely. So mm-hmm. I heard two kids doing that outside today when I was walking home. So mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. Well, you. Sh- why were you asking them to have sex with you in a bathtub? No, RJ? I overheard them saying oh. this to each other. It's oh. different. It's different this time. Um, and yeah, then we when we get to the Cambridge and the uh, one instructor's coming, going around checking out what they're doing, and he like takes out their tool, and it's like, what is that? And he's like, oh, we had it made, um, and then he's like, it's like, well, it might work for a cadaver, <laughs> but it wouldn't work for a living person. It's like, ugh. <laughs> That's something I've heard you say before when you're talking to uh, your buddy Rob Z. Mm-hmm. But it's a different, a whole different, uh, different thing that you're talking about. Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the next line I wrote, and this is like all in the first, like, what, eight minutes of the movie, uh, mm-hmm. right when he's examining uh, Claire, and he's like, oh, everything seems to be in the right place. Uh, a couple of extra ones that shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, you're joking, right? Yeah. He's like, no. No. No, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like uh, when I was watching Videodrome like a month ago or so, like that movie's got so many awesome lines too. And it's like, I don't think Cronenberg uh, mm-hmm. gets enough credit for his like great turns of phrases. Like, I don't know. It's not like his characters are like talking like in this like super realistic way, but they're talking the way that like I wish characters talked like in movies where uh, they're yeah. smart and they say just like things that you wouldn't normally say in reality because otherwise things are boring. I don't know. That's yeah, always exactly. a weird criticism people direct toward movies with stylized dialogue. Like that's a bad thing. Yeah, it's what are you? Well, what do you do, huh? When you're talking to your gynecology buddies, don't you drop some hot knowledge just like them all the time? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so yeah, one of the other things I always remember with this movie is uh, a friend of mine, Chris. Uh, apparently, he took a first date to this movie in theater, not knowing. Mm. <laughs> apparently, just being like, "Ah, the new Cronenberg's in town. <laughs> Time to go check it out. <laughs> go check it out." There's worse things. I had a high school or high school teacher who always said that he took a, a date to Deliverance, and uh, then she never called him again. So, oh, bummer. but I mean. Maybe it was just because Deliverance isn't, like, that great. Uh, it's pretty good. It's okay. It's pretty good. It's okay. You're wrong. So what did, yeah. Andrea, so what did Andrea think? Uh, she actually really liked this. Yeah? Yeah. And I, I was like, I think you'll like this one. And she's like, you've been saying that all month, um, which is a little <laughs> unfair because uh, she's been having to deal with my random ghoul school watchings. So mm-hmm. um, actually some of them have hit, but uh, no, yeah, she, she thought this one was really good. Um, I think for uh, the first half hour, she was kind of like diddling around. Um, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? She was fiddling about. Is that a, a better way to put that? Um, anyways, and then like about a half hour and then she kind of got dialed into it and she was invested and she watched it out the whole way. And by the end she was, she was pretty sad the way it ended, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, it did it then. The movie succeeded because I don't think you're supposed to feel good at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, she really liked it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. fucking right. I was like, I did it. I got her. You did it. So uh, I was like, do you want to watch a Videodrome next? She's like, sure. I was like, yes. Because <laughs> that's, that's not until like 300 in the Criterion, right? Oh, yeah. That's so, a long ways away. So might as well just... 
bump that one out here anyways. We'll have stopped doing the show long before then. Oh, yeah. Like, we're lucky if next week even happens. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. So, so there's the talk of enthusiastic periods. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I, I think uh, I was quoting that myself today to Andrea. Yeah. And she's like, stop saying that. <laughs> I was like, but it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all fun. Hey, Jared, do you like to bite fleshy conjoined twins on the conjoinment? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you want to talk maybe more about like this, the whole thing of like body horror or whatever. Um, it's like, I mean, so it's like, uh, it's one of those things that I feel like very frustrated about because it seems like it's such a lazy thing that people just say to like toss it out there. Um, and they, everyone knows David Cronenberg does it. And then mm-hmm. now like every time a movie comes along that deals with body horror, uh, it's like, oh, body horror in Cronenberg. Um, but it's mm-hmm. just like, uh, it seems so reductive to me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so I mean, in this movie, like, I don't even know if it, it, it kind of taps into that though, but I feel like it doesn't, it's not really body horror other than like in the most passing ways. Like, I don't think sure. it's like a great example of it. Cause it seems like it's far more about like, um, identity and stuff like that. But then obviously there is like bits where like, uh, I think when, uh, Claire's talking about like the about having a child and mm-hmm. this idea of like, well, you could always adopt if you really want to raise a child. And she's like, no, it has to be part of my body, which I think is like super creepy, but like there's like mm-hmm. something there to it, which I think is something that Cronenberg's uh, really good at is hitting upon these like this these ways of how people's bodies work or shouldn't work mm-hmm. and going from there. Because I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like I guess like the body horror thing comes from the fact that, well, here, like instead of like in these kind of fictionalized versions, like in his previous movies, which kind of are more like sci-fi horror things, uh, this movie actually is dealing with like a real profession that actually exists in the world. But like this sort of heightened, strange version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you, man. Like, I feel it. I feel you, dog. (laughs) I don't have much to say. Like, um, that's it's kind of not trying to like not talk about it, but this movie's really good. And like, (laughs) there there's certain things. It's like I don't even know how to like talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, man? But I agree with you with the body horror thing. I think that's mostly just coming out of the fly. And then when you have like a vagina in a chest. Like in Videodrome, it's like, how do you talk about that? <laughs> like, what do you use to describe that? It's like, I guess, body horror yeah. or just chest vagina. Well, I mean, Videodrome is like, essentially, it's like, it's an action movie at the end of the day. Like, I mm-hmm. think that's like its appeal. Um, and it's got this like backdrop of like sci-fi stuff in there. Uh, and The Fly, I mean, it's this like monster movie, but it's like also, it's like a romance, which like kind of like mm-hmm. a lot of monster movies essentially are. And Dead Ringers, I mean, it's kind of like, it's a movie about... Um, like siblings, but like it's like a it's, a it's a particular type of relationship though that like not many people know about. Like, cause m- people aren't twins usually. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because I mean, with your like brothers and sisters, I mean, you're, you're like separate entities. Um, and mm, we we sometimes merge into the into a mass, <laughs> quite like they do in Dead Ringers or or society. Mm-hmm. In, in in society, yeah, the shunting. When, yeah, we we often uh, dance to uh, '60s uh, soda pop music mm-hmm. with um, the respected other's girlfriend or right. you know wh- whoever they're occupied with at the time. Ah, oh. so and I'm the creep. <laughs> yeah, you are a creep. There's not 
nothing wrong with being a family, Jared. I mm. think that's what Dead Ringers is all about. It's like that X-Files episode, Home. <laughs> home? It is like that one, yeah. but not like that one. Mm-hmm. Not me, but I mean, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just realized, too, when we were uh, watching this movie, it's like, hey, this is like two movies in a row that are about destructive relationships and drug addiction. Because <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that was Sid and Nancy. <laughs> Yeah, but one of these movies is really good and the other one isn't. This is very true. This is very true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, so what? Why is this movie so much better than Sid and Nancy? Because uh, that movie stinks. Well, okay. And that movie's well, annoying. Yeah. Well, here's your opportunity to talk about why that is. Well, I've already talked about Sid and Nancy, but uh, I think I don't know. It's kind of like what I was touching on before. I think, I think there's so much stuff in this movie that's just done so well, like. Like you were saying, the dialogue is actually just really good. Like, kind of how you're saying, sometimes it doesn't seem natural, but I mean, for the characters, it does, right? Like, we might not talk like that, but I'm pretty sure these guys actually do talk like that. It does feel natural. Um, and I was like, I was saying, J- Jeremy Irons is great. I think the way David Cronenberg sets all this stuff up is just amazing to watch. Like, the the first hour, and then like kind of that slow burning down spiral that happens and a lot of stuff like even even though i had seen this before when you're watching it and you're like oh it's gonna take that turn where he like he loses it and he makes all these weird hook claw sex (laughs) tools like like you know it's coming but i feel like it still comes like kind of as like not like a surprise but it's it's upsetting like it, it shakes you a little bit when you see all that stuff um, it's just a really effective movie in that way, yeah. I guess. Cause even, even if you know what's coming, it's still super like fresh. And I think especially the ending, cause like I said before, I think the ending is super sad. Um, and I love it. And just like, you know, when he like wakes up and when Bev wakes up and he's like saying L's name, mm-hmm. it's like the saddest shit I've ever fucking seen. Well, um, yeah, that scene, like just like the, how he plays it. Cause he knows like the way he does it, because there's a bit where it's like he wakes up and he's like actively not looking into that corner of the room yeah. and he just keeps repeating the name, but he like is everywhere he looks. He's the only place he doesn't ever look though is exactly at the table where his mm-hmm. disemboweled brother lies. Um, yeah. And yeah, it just like, it just plays out and it's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's fucking brutal. heartbreaking. And, 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 and it's great too. Cause it's like, uh, I mean, if there's one thing that people probably accuse Cronenberg uh, of is like not really having a lot of restraint. Um, like usually it's like he relishes in like the gore and the splat and the mm-hmm. guts and whatnot. Um, apparently there was like a second dream sequence that was actually supposed to be in the movie too. Uh, mm-hmm. that was not, I don't think it was ever filmed, but it was, uh, it was scripted involving uh, a parasitic twin coming out of Bev. Mm-hmm. Um, but he cut it out and it's like, yeah, cause that's like, that would have taken it into like the comfortable territory that I think Cronenberg enjoys. Yeah. And so like, you never actually see, uh, Elliot like yeah. on the table you never mm-hmm. see that it's always like it's just in the distance which is just like far more like off-putting because it's in this Cronenberg world yeah no. yeah exactly and I think I don't I don't know if I even agree like with the restraint thing because I think he does show restraint like I think if he would like wasn't I think the, at the end would be like that Bev had stitched L into his body again or something right. like yeah. that like well, so yeah. like because I think that's an easy out like I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just expecting that because I'm like a weirdo or something. But I think that would be like the easy way to end it. So I exactly. Think, I think he did the right thing. No, well, for sure. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Is he yeah. uh, like he like he does like show restraint in this movie? Like I think mm-hmm. that's like why. I mean, I'd say it's like 
probably his most like mature movie. Um, cause like, just like, cause when you look at his like filmography, which I was doing, Mm -hmm. uh, cause I was remembering like, uh, I mean, yeah, he starts with shivers and then you have rabid, the brood scanners. And then like, I think he makes that kind of first initial leap into Videodrome where he's got like some real money and some real scale. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that movie is just like, there's like some awesome levels of just splat and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like you have the dead zone, which I think is like kind of his first like movement toward like refining stuff. And then there's the fly, which like is like probably him and his like horror best. And then mm-hmm. he, and then he does dead ringers, which like is kind of, uh, is actually a lot closer to the stuff that he went on to do, but there's something really missing after dead ringers for me. Um, cause from there he does naked lunch, uh, and then there's his uh, M movie, which has got Jeremy Irons in it that I've never actually seen. Uh, mm. There's Crash, which I've only seen the one time. And mm-hmm. man, uh, I don't remember being like super great, but maybe it holds up better. But then there's Ex- Existence, yeah. which is just him doing Videodrome again. And then there's Spider, which kind of goes back into his uh, one of his other uh, pet interests of just like memory and mind and um, identity and whatnot, and mm-hmm. then then it's all your history of violence, which all your v- the, your his Vigo the stage, v- the Vigo stage, yeah, his trilogy of Vigo. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'll throw out there, I I'm not a fan of history of violence at all. Um, mm, that's weird, but but I do I do like me some Eastern Promises. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I find a lot of people are divided on those. Like they like one and not the other. I like them both. I think they're both pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, I think but, what really, yeah, there's something like about the, there's an artificiality to our history of violence that I don't really care for. And William Hurt's performance in history of violence is like one of the all time <laughs> worst performances, I think. Hey, and, Joey. And, oh, yeah. Joey Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. That's he, what he does in that, right? Horrible, horrible. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah like uh, Dangerous Method. Uh, and Cosmopolis, I think, has a really bad rep. That movie's like not bad at all. But people really seem to want to hate that. I don't know sure if it's because they don't like Robert Pattinson. But I was gonna say, um, is that the only reason they don't like it? Because uh, I've, I've never seen that actually. But I've I, like, I don't. People I think I know say it's good. Yeah, I don't think it's a terrible movie at all. I think it's like fine. And then Maps to the Stars, I've owned that on Blu-ray, which I didn't. See, that's a movie that I didn't even realize existed until I mm-hmm. saw it at Walmart, and I didn't know it was David Cronenberg until like I went home and was like saw something like, "Hey, David Cronenberg's movie just came out on Blu-ray." I'm like, "What?" Like mm-hmm. a David Cronenberg movie came out and i had no idea till it hit like walmart shelves it's just ridiculous yep. but um yeah like so for me like dead ringers really hits like that was like kind of like probably his high point for me of like his mm-hmm. filmmaking and then after that i don't know he kind of didn't really make stuff that i connected to a lot um and in that eastern promises is just like i think it's just like a good movie that like isn't particularly cronenbergish other than like his, his love of violence or his obsession mm-hmm. with violence. I don't think he loves violence. Um, he doesn't like guns. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, or he, or sorry, he does love guns, I think, is how it goes. Something like that. He's one of those, like, it's always weird. I, I get confused about how I my directors... I think David Lynch doesn't like guns. Uh, I don't know. David Lynch might love his guns, too. <laughs> I don't know. People, like, there's always, like, a weird story about, like, some, like, John, John Woo's never fired a gun and stuff like that. And I can't remember. I think David Kronberg actually was, like, a really big gun fan. Or, but I might be completely flat out wrong on that one, and maybe I, I he, or he hates, or he's frightened. That's like the scariest thing in the world to him. But I think he's a gun fan. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. Yeah. I think you made all that stuff up. So um, I don't believe a word you said. No one will ever know. Um, no yeah. So know. I guess like the other thing too, like uh, just like thinking about like using Sid and Nancy is sort of like a way to like compare and contrast. So because like, mm-hmm. like, Sid and Nancy is another movie that's like it's got this like really 
big like actor role in it that people like whatever they think about the movie they kind of celebrate Gary Oldman's performance but like I don't know like I guess like maybe it's unfair to Gary Oldman to like compare it to what Jeremy Irons did here in Dead Ringers but yeah. it's just like yeah it's just like like it's inc- it's, it's a standout performance like it's a highlight it's, it's the best uh best acting we've seen so far Oh yeah, there's like and, I don't even know what's coming up ahead that's going to even like be yeah. on the same level. Now this know. might be a, a shout out to Launch Jarrett, but yeah. Dead Ringers might even be the best movie we've watched so far. Uh yeah. I mean for me personally, I it's a I don't know. I it's it would be a toss up for me between the and Silence of the Lambs in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I was funny because I was looking at both posters and they're both faces and they both yeah. came out within a few years. So I mean, it kind of speaks to also maybe my taste of like these late eighties, early nineties movies. Um and Fleshy like things. and also like the kind of period of time when I would have watched them was around the same. So there mm-hmm. could be like a bit of nostalgia uh at work for uh that. But uh well, yeah. There's I, no nostalgia for me because I watch Dead Ringers as an adult, not not as a little chum. And uh, I think it's just as good. I hold it up there like I think on my ranked list, I have Seven Samurai and Seven Seal both at the top with Dead Ringers like in there. But to be honest, I compare all three of them basically as sharing the top spot mm. because it's, it's like, how do you put one over the other, Jer? It's just because it's a number. But if they could all be number one, they would be. Mm-hmm. Oh, you and know. then number number two would be Walkabout, and number three would be Salo. Yeah, and uh, all all my favorite movies. Your favorite, your your classics. Yeah, uh, all the hits. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, no, there's there's one there's one amazing uh, performance coming up, uh, and it's going to be uh, Kurtwood Smith as Clarence J. Boddicker. Ooh, that is. Yeah, pretty I good, think actually. I think that that will be too. That'll be tough to top. <laughs> Yeah, are we gonna skip summertime and just go right to that? No, 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 no. Nah, nah, nah. nah. Yeah. Well, I had to say it because people out there demand RoboCop. People mm. love RoboCop. People love the Here. RoboCop. Uh, love- yeah. Well, we'll people will find out all about mm-hmm. RoboCop in a little, a couple episodes. They gotta finish this episode though. Hey, That's RJ, true. how much do yes. twin escorts cost? Uh, it depends on uh, how long you keep them and what kind of things you're doing. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think the flat rate is uh, like uh, a half. Half quarter, like two fifty a piece, so about five hundred for the pair. But hmm. uh, again, that's like at a forty minute premium. Uh, wonderful. So. Oh, and for uh, for another bit of trivia, uh, apparently Robert De Niro was at one point considered to, to play, oh, uh, and apparently uh, he he didn't want to do it because of like the weirdness of the role, uh, which I believe I refer to as oh he pushed out. Yeah, and now he's doing movies like fucking Bad Grandpa. It's yeah. like. And look at Jeremy Irons. He's fucking Alfred but, I now. I mean, just think about, like, oh, this movie would be terrible with De Niro. <laughs> yeah, it would be fucking horrible. I, I, like, I just, like, De Niro is just not a Cronenberg guy. Well, I think this movie is, like, great for two reasons. Cronenberg yeah. and Jeremy Irons. And they just, they fucking mesh completely perfectly. I think if either if either one of them was absent, I don't think it would be what it is. So, oh yeah, well, I mean, that's, I, I that's, that's probably true of uh, yeah, it's just true of a lot of movies. Uh, if you take any like, one of those like key things, it's like yeah, the movie falls apart and it's yeah. a piece of junk. Hey Jared, I think if like <laughs> Tyler Perry wrote the script for this, it would be like a way different movie. Yeah, do you agree? <laughs> I I can't disagree. Yeah, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but like this movie is pretty well all interior shots too. 
Like there's uh, only like two. There's one outside at the end. Or yeah, there's well, two at, maybe. At the very beginning when the mm-hmm. when the young young Beverly and Elliot are walking down out on the street. Mm-hmm. And then uh, basically it's all interiors until the very end when like Beverly's kind of like gone out to uh, meet Claire. And he's just like wandering yep. around dejected and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then it's like, that's it though. And it's like those scenes are kind of like, oh, fresh air and trees. Because then it's like, oh, back into these houses and back into these like weird like perfectly designed uh like a like sets like that's the other thing too this movie's got some really great set design like those mm-hmm. are like really great rooms that like uh like his office and uh elliot's um apartment mm-hmm. or the they're, they're the the twin brothers apartment um and yeah and just like the use of like reds and uh blues which like yep. which are kind of hilariously outlined by the uh the dvd that we were watching where it's got like both sides yeah. of jeremy iron's face and one has blue and one has red and they're like all like uh kind of like torn apart or whatever mm-hmm. oh it's just like so on the nose <laughs> it's a little on the nose but i mean mm-hmm. it's charming at the same time it's a little bit of charm there i guess it's, it's a little charming so uh I was going to say, um, when we were watching this movie, there were two things that happened with uh, Bev and Elliot where Andrea looked at me and she's like, oh, my God, because they are literally things I have done and continue to do in real life. Are you talking um, like, about like medical instrument sex acts? Well, yeah, but like not as it's not as prevalent as these other two. So these were the two that I had to make note of. Um, there's bef- right before Bev uh, finds the artist has stolen his uh, instruments. He's like walking and then he passes a bush and he just kind of turns his head a little bit to his shoulder and he just pukes really quick in the bush oh. and then he keeps on walking. Um, there's here's something you might not know about me, Jer. I've done that. Yeah. I've done that a, a, quite a few times uh, because as we've alluded to before, I am a raging alcoholic um, and in my uh, in my more wild times and especially uh, when I get out on the town, um, mm-hmm. I've been known to drop a quick uh, drop a quick one uh, over the shoulder and uh, keep on rolling. So I thought that was pretty funny. I've done that move before a few mm-hmm. times. Um, there's also one cool that's really cool near the end when uh, both Bev and Elle are uh, – getting real hard on the drugs and uh it's their birthday and then bev goes to the shelf it might be l no yeah it's bev he goes to the shelf and he just pulls out the cake that's like on top of books and just kind of breaks it with his two hands and they just eat the cake um not only is that endearing but uh, i've done a few things like that as well so (laughs) if anyone was ever in question of my character uh i i not only puke in bushes while i'm walking but i also break cake with my bare hands and share them with my twin brother the more you know. Yeah. Oh, they also call it Orange Pop, which I thought was a, a clear sign that it's a Canadian movie. I don't think people in the States call it pop. No, it's a regional thing, too. Like, in different parts of, like, even the States, they call it different. Soda, Soda, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, that is how it goes. Yeah. So, would you say that you are a fan of these cold, analytical pieces of filmmaking, RJ? You're a, you're a Christopher Nolan man. You're a Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm trying to say is I'm dead on the inside, and these are the only movies that can get me to uh, 
express myself. <laughs> well, it seems so, to always be like this like weird complaint. Like when I was like looking ahead, at, like uh, who hates this movie, and like mm-hmm. just like because like I said, like the front of the movies that like popped into or like the the director that popped into my mind watching this was Christopher Nolan because this is very mm-hmm. like much a Nolan type of story would be, I guess. Oh yeah, like yeah, just like dual identities and uh, like this idea of like uh, duplicates and doubles, like it's like uh, like the like following. Um, mm-hmm. But then like I always think about uh, like the, the complaint about movies that Christopher Nolan or Stanley Kubrick uh, have against them is like they they don't understand people they don't like they're they're not real people they're boring they're unrealistic they're he doesn't understand mm-hmm. he, they don't have emotions like normal people so I find it impossible to relate to these things and like I think that's such a cop out because like I don't know why mm-hmm. everyone everything has to always constantly be an emotional response I guess like I don't know why yeah. um, you have to like feel like I feel like I can relate to this character like I never feel that way um, yeah that's bullshit like do you f- park because you too have went to an amusement park full of dinosaurs like do you know what I mean that's a bad example but I no, I agree with you too like I, I don't feel like I have to relate to characters like at all like, I don't have a twin brother. I don't have this weird relationship with him. I'm not a gynecologist. I don't do drugs. I don't do anything like that. But uh, I don't think Kubrick and Nolan are cold at all. I think they understand, or that they don't understand people. I think it's that they understand people too well. And anyone who doesn't see that is, uh, they're lost, man. Yeah, no, I think there's like a, I don't know. There's like this, these type of directors though, too. Um, I think they're both like kind of like all three of these guys, you would say, like are kind of dealing with things like, I guess, like on an intellectual level rather than like a uh, emotional level sometimes. And so, yeah. I mean, like there's like a distancing that's intentional, which isn't a bad thing. But I mean, I guess like if that's not your type of movie, that's just not your type of movie. And it's not like because it's, this yeah. is a bad movie because why these this isn't how love would work or this isn't he doesn't understand he's trying to understand it's just like Mm -hmm. i don't know again it kind of comes back to like weird lazy things that people complain about with things that they just don't like and they go with the thing that people always tout as being why they don't like it be it and it's like this movie's weird and cold to me and i just don't like it i don't like batman superman because of the editing things like that (laughs) yeah right when, because when you compare or when you're talking Cronenberg, Chris Nolan, Stanley Kubrick, your next logical jump is Batman Superman, right? Uh, when you're RJ Baylog, it is. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree with you too. Like, because Chris Nolan is like my favorite and Kubrick is one of my other big time faves, top five guy. Yeah. And uh, I think Cronenberg's actually pretty close. He might be like number six on that list, but, uh, I love that take. Like, I, I like that it's not like emotional like that because, you know, so it was like I was saying at this movie at the end, you feel really sad. Yeah, no. Like, and it's because like, I think the way that it they build it up without that stuff there, it hits you kind of harder when that message comes through, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, like that seems to be like the thing that like uh, I've kept coming back to the last couple of weeks is this idea of sadness in mm-hmm. like, uh, in like these kind of horror movies. And that's okay. That's actually another weird thing too, is that like this movie kind of falls now, like nowadays, like if you look this up, like on Wikipedia and you look at like critical reception and like kind of like uh, how it's received now, it's like shows up on all these like scariest film lists and like horror film lists, like top 25 horror film lists. And it's like, it's it's so strange that this movie has to get slotted in that way. Cause it seems like, Mm -hmm. well now it's like a issue of like, it's a genre movie rather than like, 
actually like a film film, which is mm-hmm. kind of wacky to me because like I never really think of this movie as like a horror movie. Um, like nope. other than it's like there's the bit where like yeah he goes and gets these tools made by this like art guy and who fleeces him for this money and takes the designs to make some art objects because this is like yeah it's like eight, that edgy eighties art like it's totally in line with that which I mean Cronenberg was aware of and mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's about as close as like and it doesn't actually happen there's like no like supernatural thing going on um, it's just like I don't know it's like saying like last exit to Brooklyn or. Um, uh, Requiem for a Dream or like horror movies just because mm-hmm. they, they're, they're kind of horrifying. Uh, just because they deal with hard content, like things that upset people. Yeah, and I mean, or make people uncomfortable. And if, if, yeah. if this movie makes me uncomfortable, it must be a horror film. It's kind of strange, like that people always kind of go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, I'll take uh, I'll take this horror genre thing to throw into my uh, 31 Days of Horror to get that extra movie, I guess. Just like Salo. Because yep. even that movie's just, like, arguably, it's like, I don't know, it's like, I think I saw like, I didn't even think about it as a horror movie until I saw like Wikipedia mentioned it as like an art horror film. And I went, mm-hmm. okay, good enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I guess that's a little questionable. Like, to me, Salo's pretty horrific. So, right. In, but, that, in that sense, it's a horror movie. But I don't, yeah. to a dude like you, like a creep like you who like it, like, I don't know, maybe it's a comedy. I call it, or, like, it's Monday. It's yeah, it's Monday. Or as we've mentioned before, some of the your favorite movies that you view as like comedies are just absolutely horrifying to me. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. I view it as a horror movie, but I, I don't go change the Wikipedia page to happiness to, to yeah. put it under a horror movie. Like <laughs> That's another plug, folks. Check out happiness at your soonest uh, ability mm-hmm. to do so. RJ loves it. Well, it's a good thing it'll never be added to the uh, Criterion Collection. Oh, never say never. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just looking right here. Uh, it is on the Rolling Stones top one, uh, 100 Maverick movies. Uh, dead Ringers? T- yep. Total film placed Dead Ringers 35th on their list of the 50 greatest horror movies of all time. Which is like, I mean, come on, you could actually use a, an actual like David Cronenberg horror movie to put yeah. on there instead. Uh, like, video, like The Fly. The Fly? <laughs> like The Fly yeah. would be better suited on that type of list. Oh, uh, Entertainment Weekly placed at 20th on the 25 scariest movies of all time list. Um, and it was named one of the 10 top 10 true story horror movies of all time by Bloody Disgusting. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that same w- list, I think Wishmaster is number one for uh, true true <sighs> horror. Oh, but you know what? I'm actually looking. There's the list of Canada's top t- 10 films of all time, of which it is on. Ooh, is it? Where is it on the top 10? Uh, sixth. I don't What's know what one? I don't know. It, it the link's dead. It, mm. it failed me. God damn it, Jared. Well, you you gotta. Our, our fans want to know about oh, Canadian cinema. Wait. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, in twenty fifteen, Dead Ringers is still on there. It's still holding up. Number one, right. uh, Atanarjwat, the Fast Runner. That's one of your favorites, right? Oh yeah, I talk about that every day. I do own that movie. If you do want to borrow it. I've never heard of this it, movie it, it's before. A, it's, so a, it's, a, it's an Inuit film. It's actually, it's like a period piece set in like, I don't know, 5000 BC kind of thing. Uh, oh, it sounds so boring. <laughs> it's it's like a it's, a, it's like a thriller, I think. It's like, is, is, it, that, is it actually good or like, would uh, Dead Ringers No, Dead Ringers is better than, yeah, than okay. The Fast Runner. No, The Fast Runner, it came out in 2001 and it was like, I don't know, all the bee's knees uh, amongst people who like want to be able to say, yeah, I love Inuit filmmaking. Um, sure. Well, because the guy who directed is uh, Zacharias Canuck, uh, and he's like directed a bunch of like little micro things. But yeah, like to say that it's like as 
I mean, let's see what's on this list. We have Mon Oncle Antoine, which uh, mm-hmm. I do believe is a future Criterion creep. We got The Sweet Hereafter by, uh, uh, before mentioned, Adam McGoyan. Uh, Jesus of Montreal from Danny Arcan, Leolo, uh, Going Down the Road, which I have seen. That movie, Crazy. Uh, oh, and we got My Winnipeg by old guy Madden. That is also a Criterion. Um, the guy Madden one is the only one other thing I even know out of all that stuff. So yeah. uh, I've never heard of any of those movies, so they must not be good. Oh, that's how it works, right? That's how it works, I guess, when you're ignorant, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Dead Ringers only uh, – it started appearing in 2004. It did not make the list in 1993. I guess it just hadn't uh, uh, cured enough at that point. Mm. Yeah, that sounds likely. Yeah. But yeah, but, actually, uh, this is like off topic, but yeah, Canadian films are fairly well represented uh, in the uh, Criterion collection. It's like, yeah. for, it's for uh, for our output. It's like, yeah, there's like 10. A lot of it's David Cronenberg movies, but hey. Not, hey, not, we'll take it. Not doing too bad. But anyway, well, hey, mm-hmm. who hated this movie, RJ? Some bad people, mm-hmm. let me tell you. Well, uh, one person, one user here who I recognize the name of, I think, Fat Pie 42 I think I, I, I think he might have come up before. Uh, he gave this movie one star, and Ew. and and old old uh, fat pie had this to say. Now this was entirely new to me. I liked how Jeremy Irons plays two identical twins, but as subtle as he is, I actually had trouble keeping up with who was who some of the time. Advice if you decide to watch it, take very careful note as soon as you can as to what their names are. I'm actually a bit rubbish with names, and I wasn't making the effort to take note of the names at the beginning. The movie actually seemed a little misogynistic in places. I suppose this is what the characters were like, and if male characters always treated women well, it'd be highly unrealistic. Still, when you discover what the implements in the opening credits are for, it is a little bit of a shock. Still, there were some very clever ideas, and while the ending was very bizarre indeed, it's kind of expected from Cronenberg's earlier work. While it acted well and never failing to keep my interest, I wasn't entirely sure I could buy into the story at the end. Dead Ringer seems to lack direction, and while it's not so different in style to Cronenberg's excellent Videodrome, it doesn't have the same level of excitement and creativity. While this had many elements marking it out as a Cronenberg movie, not only did the ending left me cold, <laughs> but I'm not sure mm-hmm. I ever really engaged with the progression of the movie as a whole either. Yes, Jeremy Irons' performance as Identical Twins was excellent. However, an identical twin who goes mad and starts making bizarre tools for dealing with unusual woman's bits is not a good premise for a film, and that's all there <laughs> is to it. Well, I guess that's it. He settled it. That's all there is to it. Hey, Jarrett. But that's like, does, it, does that even sound like a one-star review? I was, I was going to say, all that sounds like, it sounds like a personal problem, man. Like, it's he's just like, well, I don't really believe this, or I don't really, it's not a good, you know, story, and I, I couldn't keep up with the names. It's like, well, you're just not doing a fucking good job watching the movie then. Like, mm-hmm. uh, that's silly. Exhausting, I know. Exhausting. <laughs> Well, yeah. I I do it so other people don't have to delve sure. into these. Um, so let's see here. Ooh, uh, yeah. People actually are they're very wordy about their dislike for this movie. Actually, I was noticing like people wrote like quite a bit about it. Uh, here we've got uh, Jamie who gave this one and a half star. Letter mm-hmm. D. Typical Cronenberg sex-filled descent into madness. <laughs> Ooh. Tip, typical. Typical. <laughs> Boring as hell characters, doll all the way through. And if I had any interest going in, I lost it by the one hour mark. 
I just didn't care about anything that happened, not helped by Cronenberg's detached style, but there was really nothing in this to bring me back around like a lot of his other movies. It takes itself so seriously and doesn't tell a very good story while it's at it. I didn't hate it, but it's the closest I've come in the December challenge so far. Uh, okay. The December challenge. There, yeah, people do their challenges. Uh, the one star is for a few interesting and kind of creepy moments, pretty much. Half a star for Jeremy Irons' performance. That's it. One. That's half, it. That's all it's worth, RJ. Half a star. What? what? It, it was pretty good, but for one actor playing multiple characters, I still haven't seen anything better than uh, Tatiana Maslany in this year's TV show, Orphan Black. Oh, he's one of those. I thought he was going to say as someone playing multiple characters like the Nutty Professor mm-hmm. or Norbit, another uh, ultimate Eddie Murphy slam jammer. Um, man, like I, I don't understand these criticisms on the movie. Like it honestly, it just sounds like, oh, OK, well, you don't they don't get it for one, which is fine. Like there's a lot of movies I don't get. Sure. And I'm not, but I'm not mad at them for that. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in David Lynch movies I don't understand, but I still think they're good movies. Hmm. Um, and half a star for Jeremy Irons. That's super unfair. That's bullshit, like, actually. <laughs> spectacular in this movie. Yeah. Like 20 movies deep into the Criterion collection. And he is, I, I think, without a doubt, probably the best performance we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything. Yeah, there's nothing like it, like at well, all. Well, maybe Nancy. She she was just as good last week. Yeah. yeah, see, okay. So there's another comparison point. Comparing uh Nancy Spungen uh to uh Clara DeVoe. It's like, hmm. Right. This is like good. Like, I don't know. They're very different characters, but yeah. just like played so differently. It's like, well, one, I didn't like ever question like her performance. Like she like mm-hmm. I, I, I in my mind, I'm like, yeah, no, this actress is this character. Like it's mm-hmm. like so such a naturalistic thing. And like and it's like kind of like a believable, realistic character, whereas like Nancy Spungen as a character, like just like borders on like cartoonish. And I'm like, yeah. could someone be this like obnoxious and like kind of terrible? <laughs> yeah. And I know that I know, and I know that people can exist like that because they. Yeah, do. I was gonna say all the people who give one star reviews for Dead Ringer are that obnoxious and terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Oh, we have Andrew who gave us also one and a half star. As much as I hate to, I wanted to start out the review portion of my Dead Ringers article by stating how boring it was. That, uh, my friend, is a common theme amongst all the people who dislike this movie. They all think it's boring. Um, That's were you, not- were, so honestly, though, were you ever bored watching this movie? Did no. you ever feel like, oh, this could have been better or oh, I could be doing something else? Did you ever feel that way? I can I can say with confidence and genuine truthful or genuine truth that I was never bored once during this movie. Yeah, um, I think this movie is great all, all through. And I think people out there would know that uh, I think I'd be up front if I did think it was boring. Like Sid and Nancy's boring. Like uh, I watched it's, a movie it's just before long. this and I thought that was boring. <laughs> Yeah, I watched a movie just before we did this with zombies in it, and I thought that movie was fucking boring. So, like, um, no, I didn't think Dead Ringers was ever boring, but mm. it's uh, it's my kind of movie, man. Like, I like this stuff, so obviously I'm going to not think it's boring, I guess. I don't know. I don't know, man. That's, uh, that's silly. That's yeah. a lot of people's comments for, or, like, criticisms for a lot of really good movies, which is like, oh, it's boring. I can't relate. Jeremy Irons isn't good as Alfred. 
Buh, 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 buh. Oh, Jewel gave it two stars saying, I wish I had something to say about this movie. I thought it was incredibly long and boring from the start. I made it to the end, but I have to admit barely. I do have to admit Jeremy Irons did a great job. He has to admit it. Uh, he has he's, to he's admit got, He's got to give it to him. I can't imagine it would be easy trying to play two twins or twin characters. I would probably not recommend this movie, but at the same time, I would definitely suggest giving it a try yourself because a lot of people seem to love it. Well, mm-hmm. thank you, Joel. Um, I would also suggest people give it a try. Actually, you know, despite like whatever I think about a movie, I will probably always say, well, you might like it. Like <laughs> at yeah. the same time. I mean, there's very like, there's a list. If you want to take a look at my half star reviews, those are movies I would not recommend people watch. But uh, for the most part, even if I don't like it, I'll be like, well, you might like this stuff a whole lot. Uh, I think that's what you said when you gave me Salo. You were like, <laughs> I don't, you're like, oh, I have no. an opinion this movie but i don't know maybe you'll really like it oh no rj i i knew exactly what you think of this movie and you you lived up to expectations i know that movie is not for you um Mm -hmm. it's not for many people um i I won't be lending it to my parents anytime soon Mm -hmm. um yeah but you know what movie is for everybody dead ringers you know why because it's five stars, baby. Five. Oh, see, I, I don't even know if it's for everybody though either. I can see people not liking this movie, but I mean, it's, no, I know. Like for me, but, it's like it's right up my alley. That's all I know at the end yeah, of the day. My, I, I know that too. My point was, I think this movie is real good, mm-hmm. and I think uh, everyone should watch it because it's pretty good, even if you don't like it. Awesome. But well, if you don't like it, give it five stars anyways. Yeah, just just pretend. Live a lie. Live your life like a lie, like we all do. Like we all do. Well, I think that's it. All right. Okay. Uh, Yeah. After the break, we're going to tell you about what we're watching next week. RJ, do you ever wish you had a twin brother? Almost constantly. What would his name be? Uh, Gorvoth. Oh, not JR? No, it would be Gorvoth, and I would be Astroth the Destroyer. Oh. And You weren't expecting that, were you? Mm. I've thought about this, man. You can follow us on the Twitter at Criterion Creeps. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com, and we might even check it sometimes. No, we check it. Mm-hmm. Facebook page exists. There's a Tumblr. Uh, mm-hmm. Instagram is always active. You can check out all the sweet movie posters of the movies that I'm watching. RJ mm-hmm. will like it in turn. Uh, we're on that letterboxed. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. You can follow all the action of the movies we're watching, our pithy comments and tags and insights. And we'll mm-hmm. and hey, give us a follow on there, and we'll follow you back because that's how this works, right? Mm-hmm. We're on SoundCloud, Criterion Creeps, Stitcher, on iTunes. Follow us, like us, rate us, 
it's good. I like to hear back from people. I like to know what you're doing. I like to know what you're doing all the time. But hey, next week, it is summer all over again. Someone should tell the calendar companies because we're talking about David Lean's summertime from 1955, just in time for the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. Neither of us have ever seen this movie, and uh, I guess we're all going to find out along. Uh, you're all going to find out along with us how we dig this or not dig it. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is all correct information. Yep. Uh, so yeah, uh, we got a ghoul school coming up this Sunday. Loss of the season. Uh, we're going to mm-hmm. talk about all the horror bits and uh, drags. Maybe even talk about our top five of the Ooh. month. I don't know what other secrets or surprises might be there. Whatever I think up and tell RJ mm-hmm. to do and like. Uh, anyways, uh, you have yourself a good night, RJ. Get back into the horror movie watching. I think I'm going to try. I'm going to try, man. Excellent. Well, good night. Good night. Ow.